0: Portable hard drive, North Korean labor camp, and chocolate macadamia nuts. Today on The Pursuit, Kenneth Bay. Welcome to The Pursuit. I'm your host, Richard Lee, and I hope you're enjoying the podcast. This is now episode four, and I think we're figuring this thing out. We might just make it. Well, today I'm excited for you to hear from our guest, Kenneth Bay. Now you're thinking, Kenneth Bay. I feel like I've heard that name. Well, yeah, you definitely heard the name. And in fact, you probably prayed for his release because in 2012, Kenneth was convicted of hostile acts against the North Korean government by Kim Jong-un's regime. He was sentenced to 15 years of hard labor, and he was the first American sent to a North Korean labor camp since the Korean War. From a missionary in China to a North Korean prisoner, to his release in 2014. His story is a story of faithfulness and endurance. When you were born, you were born in South Korea, is that right?
1: Yes, I was born in South Korea.
0: Okay, and so when did you come over to America?
1: Yes, well, I was 16, and it was 1985. Uh, our family immigrated to U.S., uh-huh. so I came to uh, yeah to U.S. in 1985.
0: And where did you live?
1: The First, we went to San Jose for one year, and then we moved down to Southern California, Torrance. So I was in L.A. area.
0: What were your parents doing for work?
1: Um... My dad was a baseball manager in South Korea. He was a professional baseball manager. Really? So he ended up not coming, but he was actually uh, going, going back and forth. Oh, wow. But my mom was with us, uh, and then she studied to you know work as an accountant. And, um, you know, so then after that, um, actually, my dad, since 85, he hasn't actually lived in in U.S. He's been visiting maybe a couple of times a year. I see. So
0: you end up in America. And how did you end up going into
1: ministry? Well, right before I came over to U.S., I attended a, um, in a retreat, a youth retreat in South Korea. And then during the retreat, I asked the Lord, what do I need to be when I grow up? And the Lord uh, just said, the shepherd. Mm. So I knew I was supposed to be in the ministry someday. And then uh, back in 1988, I attended another retreat organized by um, CCC Campus Crusade. And Dr. Bill Bright was speaking one day and then he, t- he was talking about China. And then this is when I felt like I was supposed to be a missionary to China. Wow. So I knew that I was supposed to be a missionary and be a, some sort of a shepherd and, you know, in ministry some days. Uh, and then and a few years later, I ended up in the seminary in 1997.
0: So when you were growing up, it seems like hearing from God was something that was, I wouldn't say a common occurrence, but it was something that, that had happened numerous
1: times. That's right. And I you know, never heard about hearing God's voice or anything like that. But uh-huh. whenever I was making a, you know, important decisions, I, I realized that you know, God was speaking to me and leading me into that direction knowing that I was supposed to be a shepherd and missionary to China. And later on, when I went to the ministry, you know, this all has an uh, encounter with the Lord, Lord speaking to me, and I'm realizing that it was from the Lord.
0: Did you go through periods of doubt after being called to ministry or being called to be a missionary to China? Did you go through periods of doubt or did you go back to the fact that God spoke to you and it was so clear you didn't doubt it?
1: No, it was, uh, even though I knew that I was supposed to be a missionary to China, there was a long period of time. I was trying to do something else. I was trying to ignore the calling. Finally, Lord just convicted me through a different way. You know, I was asking God that, you know, then maybe I'll, I'll be good at making money. You know, I said, well, how about I will send others for, you know, missions? It's be, maybe I can be a supporting right. missionary, not right. going missionaries. Um, but the Lord make it very clear that I want you to be faithful to me. I don't want you, your you know ability. I want you to be available to me. And this is when I realized that I need to follow God's you know, voice. And so I ended up going to seminary. Even after seminary days, I wasn't sure exact directions, but there was a, a serious event that happened in my life Later on, I realized that I need to be where God called me to be. And then I went to Kona, Hawaii. Okay. You know, Wauha campus there. And then we discovered the calling and then ended up going to China as missionary after that.
0: So that's youth with a mission. That's correct. And so you were doing like a discipleship training program.
1: Yes. Back in 2005, I went to uh, you know disciples training school called DTS in Kona, Hawaii. Yeah. And you know, three months of training and two months of outreach to China. And in China, the Lord you know, convicted me once again that I must come back to China. So I felt like I was going to die. You know, there was sure assurance that if, if I don't come back, you know, and I'm going I'm to be disobeying God. And so I knew that my, my time has come for me to say yes and go to China.
0: Now, when you're talking about this idea of going to China, was it to minister to Chinese or was it to minister to North Korean in China?
1: No, it was basically ministering to people in China in in general. So, you know, I'm, I'm Korean, I was born in Korea, but I did not have specific calling for North Korea. It was mainly for China. And so while in China, because I was living in the city called Dalian, which is in, uh, not too far from North Korea border city okay. in Dandong. So I ended up bringing many groups to Dandong for prayer walk. So we went to the Dandong where we can see North Korea. And there's a river dividing North, and North Korea and um, China side. So we're on the China side yeah. praying for North Korea. And so I have, I've done maybe 40 tours like this, just taking the group to the city we, we pray through this uh, you know for a couple of days and come back. But how
0: many years were you in China before your ministry eyes sort of turned towards North Korea?
1: I went to China in 2006 and then our ministry got started at, since 2006 there but yeah. i've been taking the group to north into dandong uh, the border city and, ever, and from the beginnings i see however in 2009 you know we pioneered another base in dandong i ended up moved to dandong to pioneer the base we had a two location going. I see. And this is where many people came out there just to uh, to see North Korea and pray. And then so from two thousand nine our ministry was shifting toward to North Korea. I see. Two thousand ten that I was able to visit North Korea for the first time in 2010.
0: So tell me about that trip. Because people, you normally think about entering North Korea as an impossibility. Um, so how did you end up crossing into North Korea?
1: Uh, there was a friend's, um, friend of mine, she was a missionary to North Korea. She was in and out of North Korea quite often. And she did call me at the one time and she said, Would you like to come to North Korea with me to see what she's doing? So um, I ended up going to North Korea together with her. uh, So I brought a couple other people with me, and my wife was there together. So we went to North Korea for a two-night-and-three-day trip.
0: Now, do do you walk over? Do you take a boat?
1: Uh, No, this was uh, the city called Rajin, which is about, uh, you know, You know, just a couple hours away from the border of northeast side of China. Okay. So we took a bus to the border. So they actually have
0: like public transportation that goes from China to North Korea
1: uh, yes there is there is public transportation to go to that you know the North Korea side so then
0: you enter into North Korea you're there for a couple of days What is your impression this is the first time you've entered into the country
1: yes first time I entered into country and then I realized that you know there's still the same people and um, the people just like you and I um, just we've we visited the factories and the hospital and, uh, in you know, maybe uh, orphanages and, you know, it's a few other places that we visited and then realized that is it possible to bring Western tourists into the country now, especially this part of the region? Before, only Chinese tourists were allowed to go in. I see. Westerners, you know, were, did not have access to go in as a tourist. Yeah. But they just opened up the tour uh, business for Westerners. And I was talking to some of the people there. And then they say, uh, I, I was just telling them, I, we do have a culture exchange company uh, in China. And many people want to come and see North Korea and Is that possible? I can bring some tourists to North Korea? And they say they would like to share, they would like to talk in more detail. They asked me to come back uh, in another trip so that we can do a special discussion. So I ended up going back to North Korea a month later. Uh, This time, it just, you know, me and my wife are another couple. And then we ended up signing the contract with North Korean tour agency there.
0: So you really got the vision for this tour company on your first visit. That's correct. Did you feel like this was God sort of giving you this plan at this point? Or was this something like, oh, this will be interesting for us to be able to do?
1: No, we've been praying about entering into North Korea. We've been praying many, many people around the world came to Dandong and prayed for North Korea. I see. And I was happy asked the Lord is, can we do something more? Can we go into North Korea and do this? Yeah. in you know, praying and walkings and, uh, you know, walking around the city. And then Lord, I realized Lord was opening the door because when I was asking for special favor of North Korean uh, tour agency, there was, they pretty much to say um, everything that we've been asking for, we asked them, this, so can we go to the school and do an English like uh, classes with the North Korean students. They never done it before. Yeah. They say, okay, they will allow us to do that. And then they, uh, we also ask that we can, get, can go to the uh, city market to which they do not allow foreigners to go to the city market, uh-huh. like a free market of the city. And then, and then they say, okay, then we'll let you go in. And then pretty much, you know, going to the mountaintop, going to the beach, you know, the schools, everything we asked for, they say yes. And so I realized that it was God uh, opening the door for us. And at the same time, uh, uh, during our first visit, we, I was I was um, walking around uh, outside of the parking lot of this, you know, of this hotel in the early morning, yeah, and, um, and then the Lord began to speak to me, and then He said, "My people's eyes are blind; they cannot see. Mm. Their ears are deaf; they cannot hear. They're mute; they cannot speak. But I'll open their, you know, ear; they'll hear my voice once again. I'll open their eye." they see my glory once again. Mm. I will open their mouth. They'll praise my name once again and give glory to me. Wow. So this was sure God's conviction for me. And then God also uh, reminded me of the water of Jericho. Yeah. As, um, you know, when Israel entered the promised land and then they walked around the you know, city of Jericho for seven days and shouted all together, he came down. The Lord reminded me that during my journey in China, and there are several times the Lord provided a, the house and a hotel when we walked around for one week or one month, and we've been doing all those things before, uh-huh. to claim the land for Jesus, and the Lord has given to those, you know, those properties, and then now the Lord is saying that is, you know, that we need to bring the, you know, the people intercessor from around the world to the city, walking around, yeah. and just claim the land for Jesus, and then we can take the land for the Lord. So that's how it all began. It wasn't just like, oh, it'd be nice to just start bringing people there, but it was right. felt like it was the Lord's intention, and it way for me to go to North Korea, open the door for me and then we are able to enter into North Korea, bringing the people around the world to North Korea. With the purpose of praying for the North Koreans, that's correct. So I was able to bring 300 people from 17 different nations, wow. over 23 different trips to North Korea, Wow! Uh, all Christian intercessor and people from every continent went to North Korea and just claimed the land and praying for people in North Korea and worshiping behalf of North Korea. And then I asked them to go and just love the people. That's what we did. We went to Rajin, and then later on, I went to different cities, and then went to the Pyongyang and uh, capital And pretty much we went everywhere in North Korea and just worshiping and praying and asking God to, for his favor. And then wall will be coming down so that they will be able to worship God, rejoice in the Lord once again.
0: So the North Koreans know that you guys are foreigners and they know that you're visiting to view North Korea? But they don't know anything else. This is just tourism. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, but they did, they, I did tell them that everybody I bring in will be Christians.
0: And they didn't care.
1: Yeah, they didn't care. Uh, we can bring our own Bible. We can bring an MP3 or iPod. We can listen to worship music. As long as we bring the Bible and the iPod out of North Korea, they were fine with that. So I see. they told me that as long as we keep worship and prayer among ourselves, it's perfectly fine because there are constitutions, North Korean constitution guarantee the freedom of religion. That's what they said. Oh. So it's okay for us to pray, it's okay for us to worship, as long as we do it among ourselves, not to hand out the Bible or track to the North Korean people. It wasn't the purpose for the trip. Yeah. The purpose for the trip is like a Jericho walk. We just went to, right. do, to, uh, to North Korea and then just to claim the land for Jesus. And then while doing that, Um, And then many, many people have heart for North Korea. Few of them became missionary to North Korea. Wow. Uh, So few of them, you know, became uh, worker for NGOs and other mission agency overseas. Okay. for North Korea. So there are some so, stuff happened after that as a result of visiting North Korea.
0: Were you the first tour company for Westerners in North Korea or in that region?
1: There was another group that got started about the same time. Okay. We did it about the, practically about the same time. And they're still doing it. Uh, it was doing it from 2011 to 2012. We only were operating for two years. After I was arrested, it was shut down. I see. But the other groups are continuing doing that. So North Korea
0: doesn't care that you're Christian entering the country. They just care that you don't talk bad about North Korea.
1: Yeah, they realized that everybody coming into the city, especially Rajin, all the missionaries been walking in and out of North Korea, they knew that everybody entering in were Christian. So they were familiar with the Christian activities But they just, they're closely watch every activity to make sure it doesn't go out of the boundaries. They do have some boundaries set up. If people are, you know, they're doing, you know, obviously they're there for evangelism purpose then they get kicked out of North Korea before. So for us, our way was entering in, bringing as many people possible because there's no, you know, visa required, just tourist permit. It's the easiest way to get into North Korea. Right see the land for a few days. We were bringing people for anywhere between three or four nights to seven nights in North Korea. Uh, so this was an easier access for Christians going in. And then it was the way that we go and we just pretty much were entering the spiritual battle. But at the same time, but it was uh, for North Korean people seeing us as Christians going in and building relationship and loving the people, it was perfectly accepted. By the North Korean authority, because we bring, you know, their uh, hard-earned currency yeah. to them, and so that they, yeah. they they can use it for their government. I see. So when you're bringing people
0: into the country, did you ever have any problems previously at the border with any of the 300 people you brought?
1: No, I did not have any problem before. We do have some close call, like someone left the Bible in their hotel, and so we have to go back and you know get the Bible. Okay. You know, There are a couple of things that happened like that, and there were a couple of car accidents that happened in North Korea. Wow. But in terms of security and you know, concern, it was fine. We had no problem with the authority for the time that we are operating in North Korea prior to my arrest.
0: Yeah, so now let's talk about that. So tell me about the day that you got arrested.
1: Yes, it was November, 2012, November 3rd. This was my 18th time entering to North Korea and then completing 300 people. And then I was arrested because I made a mistake by carrying in portable computer hard drive into the country. I was rushing in the morning. We're taking a public bus for the first time, okay. and then um, you know, just I overslept, and then I left my notebook and computer at the hotel uh, in the, in China. In China, but I forgot to take my hard drive out of, out of my briefcase. So I ended up going into North Korea with my hard drive. Yeah, and then when they got there, I realized that I I brought my hard drive. It contained all my mission support letter, all the photos. Uh, About and the videos that I took in China and North Korea. You know, a lot of sensitive materials inside my hard drive. So I was concerned, but concerned I didn't know what to do. So Kenneth, let me ask you this, because
0: when we go into an airport, they check our stuff, but if there's anything that you know that we can't bring in, they just hand it back to us and say, you can't come in or you have to get rid of this. But you're saying that they were checking it?
1: Yeah, they checked the content because they didn't know what's in it. So they did uh, check my content and then they found some Western media, you know, like documentary film about North Korea. I see. And they were shocked by it. Yeah. And then they were, they saw the, you know, the little children begging on the street or picking up the garbage yeah. and those kind of thing. And then they were offended by it. You know, that's why they want to confiscate my hard drive. And then, but they would still allow me to go into North, into the city and do my tour. Okay, but I knew that if they were check the content of the video and then the other, you know, item in the hard drive, there would be enough material for them to, um, for for me to get into trouble. So, how scared were you at this point? I was very, very nervous because I knew there was a big commotion happen in the room uh-huh. But they said we will confiscate this hard drive because it has some offending materials inside. Um, but you can still go. But I knew that they were gonna come for me You know, in just a matter of time. I see. And then there was around noon, and then around six o'clock in the evening, National Security Bureau showed up in my hotel, and then they brought me to uh, their detention center. So what were you
0: thinking in those six hours?
1: I was nervous.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: And I, I would just couldn't, I couldn't eat, couldn't think, because I was worrying about not only for myself, but all the people are brought into North Korea, and also right. when you check the content of the material, it has all my mission support letters and everything that I written for the last six years in China. Wow, everything! And therefore, uh, that we have a big uh, mission center in China, and so we had you know, forty, you know, missionaries are working there uh, all together in our base, and I was worrying about their safeties. So just, I just, you know, couldn't think, couldn't, couldn't do anything for a few hours. And then finally they showed up and then they took me away.
0: And everyone on your team knew what was going on?
1: So people I brought in knew a little bit about what was going on, but they didn't know full scale because they didn't know what was in my hard drive. I see. But I knew. But I told them, you know, maybe there was some videos that they were offended by it, and then they, they knew that. Maybe it was a misunderstanding or to clear up. That's what I thought too, because I just explained to them, I didn't mean to offend you. This was a pure mistake, but sorry, it was in my hard drive, but there's nothing I can do about it. Yeah. So when they came to
0: arrest you, did you think you were going to be deported or did you know that this was serious, that you were going to be arrested?
1: Well, I thought I would be deported uh, in maybe in a few days after they checked the content. And cause did they know my reputation? They were asking around for other tour guide and you know, tour agency. Yeah. And they realized that I was very clean. I wasn't doing anything illegal in a way. Yeah. So I thought that they would just let me go after they, you know, but they would not take my answer for they pretty much wanted to know if there's any um, scam or something that they wanted to discover more. Yeah. And then they pretty much, once after three or four days, they pretty much told me I was trying to overthrow the government of North Korea. And then uh, I say, "What do you mean by that?" And they said, "Through right. prayer and worship." But prayer and worship is not illegal, right? Oh, supposedly. And then I say, and then I say, "What do you mean by that?" And then, and then, and then there was a one North Korean person that that came to our school in China. She went back to North Korea to trying to start an orphanage for North Korean, you know, homeless kids. Yeah. And but she couldn't start one. But I argued with them. She just wanted to help North Korean orphans who are in the street kids. Okay. Why is it a crime against the state? But this is what they said. They said, if one person become Christian and come back and start an orphanage, and then 10 children will become Christian, Mm. and then 10 will become 100, 100 will become 10,000 someday. When that happens, do you think they're going to be a threat threat to us or not? And then they pretty much said that it's like a Christianity is a kind of virus. Wow. It is spread. It cannot be containable. And then people lose heart for uh, their country and their leader, their system, and everybody return to God. And then this country will become a God's country and their government will, will crumble and fail. When they said that, I felt like it was the Lord spoke to me because you know, they were pretty much saying that one person can make a difference, mm. prayer can make a difference. They pretty much are saying that we use prayer as a weapon to bring down the governments. And then I'm responsible for that yeah. by bringing 300 people to North Korea, training missionary, training North Korean to go back to North Korea, start or finish. This is all crime against the state. And they say you will face death penalty or life in prison, you will die here.
0: So Kenneth, I mean,
1: obviously, I'm speaking
0: to you now, so we know you know you're not in a North Korean prison. You're not sentenced to death. But at the time, you must have been absolutely fearing for your life.
1: Yeah, if someone said you're gonna die here. It's not. It's not a good thing to do that. Right. On the third day of my detainment, though, um, that I, they made me stand still in the middle of the room for whole whole day long. I Absolutely, I have to stand. I I had to. Stand still for absolutely still for a few hours. Just just as a punishment, as a punishment to trying to get the truth out of me. For them, this is something very mild treatment. They couldn't do a lot more than that. so they they didn't you know, so I don't know whether the torture would be the right word for it, but it was a kind of like a right. giving me a one of those timeout moments. <laughs> yeah, but I was standing still for absolutely still for hours, and suddenly I realized that my hand, my body was not aching, my back wasn't hurting, I wasn't hungry, I wasn't tired. But I was worried and I was terrified. I didn't know what's going to happen, and I was asking that, "Where are you? you've been with me for all this year? Why is this happen? Why did you allow this to happen?" Yeah where are you I felt like the Lord has left me abandoned me or something like that, And then suddenly I felt worms in my left my left hand, and then the, the worms started spreading into my arm, but I saw something sparkling on my hand. Wow, like a gold dust. Wow. And then, the, and then this is when the Lord spoke to me very clearly and said, Kenneth, Holy Spirit is just holding your hand, he's standing next to you. Do not fear, I am with thee. Wow. And so cast all your anxieties upon me because I do care for you. When he showed up like this, everything changed. Even though this was the third day of my detainment, um, not knowing what's going to happen, I was terrified. And then the Lord said, do not fear, no one will be harmed through this. There's, a, there's a something I need to accomplish through this. So be strong and be still because I am with you. And then so the total peace and the presence of God came over to me and knowing that I won't be harmed, knowing that I'll be going home on my third day. So uh,
0: so you had a sense that, that God was with you, but God was going to bring you home.
1: Yes. But I was hoping that it would be very soon, Yeah, no more than a month or maybe two months, but I'll be going home. But I didn't realize that I was going to be there for seven hundred thirty five days. You know, it was two years and five days, you know, so so it's kind of funny because Lord say, be strong because I'm with you. I'll bring you home, but uh, he didn't tell me when, and <laughs> right. he didn't tell me that I'm, I'm gonna be there for 732 more days after that. So I guess when you know Bible talk about God will not give us more, you know anything more we cannot handle. Yeah. that means that God may not tell us everything we cannot handle. Right. At the same time. Right. So I do believe that this was God's conviction. So I knew when God speak, God will always fulfill. But just the hardest part was waiting, not knowing when I'm going home. Yeah. But I just have to trust the Lord. Every time I, get, I was doubting, every time I was really tired, I just wanted this to be over. But I knew right really to realize that, you know, I was there as a missionary doing God's work. And um, so I need to trust the Lord for His uh, way. Because his way is higher than mine, and I have no idea what he's trying to accomplish. But I knew that something would be done through this.
0: So you're being interrogated, um, and eventually you end up admitting that this you're here as a missionary, and you you basically reveal all of your trade
1: secrets? Pretty much, the Lord says, tell the truth. So, so I have to confess that I'm actually a missionary. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a pastor. I brought people here to pray and worship. And this is what I've done. And later on, they accused me that I was trying to overthrow the government of North Korea. And then they pretty much so made me sign the confession. the The way they like to tell the story, so I have to agree because they told me that I was actually going home. after going to go into Pyongyang for a few uh, for a few days. So I said, okay, then just let me. So, okay, I wrote uh, more than three hundred pages of confessions and. Uh, apology letters. But after all that, I said, just tell me what I'm supposed to write. And then I would just write it and sign it. And then if, if that means I'm going home, this is, let's get it over with. So what were you, what was in the letter? What were you saying? Pretty much that I was trying to overthrow the government of North Korea
0: through prayer and worship. So you actually had to admit I'm,
1: you know, that phrase, I'm trying to overthrow the government. Yeah. Wow. You know, for us, we're because of what we are trying to do was lower, you know, You know, we want to take this city for Jesus. And this kind of wording that we use. Yeah. And they took it very offensively. And especially about Jericho, taking down the water of Jericho. They thought they were there to just take the city, means invade the city. And I said it's just our spiritual wow. the way. We are not to try to do this, but they were pretty much saying and for them it's the same thing. Yeah, what you're trying to do spiritually, doing the, doing physically, the same. So they all you. I the wording that I used got me in trouble. Yeah, uh, and they took took it literally, and then made me sign the paper, so sign the confession that way. They told you
0: if you sign this confession, then you'll be sent home. But that's not what ended up happening, is it?
1: Yeah, and then they uh, took me to the Pyongyang, the capital city. And then as soon as I arrived, I realized that they are going to charge me officially with, uh, you know, the crime against the state. So I was going through the trial, pre-trial periods for five months. And then I ended up going to the trial uh, for, you know, one day. Wow.
0: So when you got sentenced, what was going on in your mind or in your heart? Uh
1: during the time of waiting that I was given a Bible back, so I always asked them can I get my Bible back? So I read uh, in the Bible many times, they'll continue to remind me that he's in charge, he's in control. They've been pretty much telling me that we can try we can treat you as a war criminal, we can just take you out and shoot or cut up your head somewhere. It was a constant, there was a threat was made during this time before the trial. Wow. And, but the Lord continued to remind me that I am with you, do not fear. And and through the many words, scripture, the word from, you know, the many words that came from the Bible and to remind me that he was with me. Mm -hmm. And then uh, after trial, the trial only lasted for one and a half hours. Wow. And then they uh, sentenced me 15 years of hard labor sentence. So I avoid a death penalty. That's what they told me, death penalty or life in prison. But third highest punishment would be 15 years. I got the 15 years of hard labor sentence. I was the first American was sent to North Korea labor camp since Korean War. The first American. Yes. Wow. So when I got to the labor camp, I realized that they sent me to a foreigners-only labor camp. So there was about thirty to forty guards and staff working at this camp. I see. But I was the only prisoner there for the whole time when I was in North in the prison. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. So I received a lot of attention from many people there. I have to get up at six in the morning. I went out of work from eight o'clock in the morning until six p.m. every day for six days a week. Wow. Doing a hard labor, working on the farm, doing many farming work and digging the ground, shoveling the coal. Uh, many type of uh, hard labor after indoor. Uh, it was extremely hot in the summer, like uh, maybe 90 to 100 degrees Celsius, uh, Fahrenheit. Wow. In the, in the winter time, it's like um, you know, maybe uh, 15, 20 degrees Celsius. And so it was a very cold. And you're still going outside. I have to still go outside and then do many labors. Um, so when I got, come back uh, from the working outside, I just couldn't do anything and I was so tired or body's aching, yeah. but I have to sit in the chair until 10 p.m., and then that's the when I can lie down. And even though I can lay down, um, they kept the light on, and so it was hard to sleep with the light on, and there's no mosquito net or any box screen on the window. So I was beaten by you know, many insects every day. You know, I had to kill about 200 bucks a day. Oh my goodness. And my, uh, I had arthritis pain, so my hand was numb and it was so, uh, so painful. Every hour I had to get up and sh- you know, I had to shake my hand for 20 minutes and go back to sleep, get up another hour. Oh my goodness. So it was, it was extremely difficult and uh, hard to endure. So I asked God, Lord, you say you're going to take me home. <laughs> yeah. But I'm, after seven months, I'm in the labor camp. I'm suffering. I'm dying here. And then, you know, Lord, how long will this suffering will be lost? And then the Lord spoke to me and said, Kenneth, even suffering is beneficial for you. Huh. And I didn't like his answer. I, w- I wanted to go home. and He can end my suffering by taking me home. But he said, but my grace is sufficient for you. Mm. So when I'm weak, that he's strong that then I didn't understand why why he said what he said, but now I understand because through suffering, I learned to fix my eye upon the Lord. Through suffering, I learned to trust the Lord more. Wow! For me, I was just having a conversation, engaging daily conversation with Lord in the morning. I read my Bible. I had to put on the full armor of God and asking Lord, Lord, help me to um, to endure, like, this day, you know, I couldn't think about next day, you know, just almost like I was gonna die that day. Yeah, I lost more than fifty pound in three months, and I was malnutrition. I, I, you know, and then I was sent to the hospital after that. So during this, the suffering was real. Yeah. So how did you get through it all? It was very extremely difficult to endure. But Lord reminded me through His scriptures. Uh, and then through a different way that uh, he was with me. There's one time I was sitting, watching TV on Sunday, mm-hmm. and then I started daydreaming about food because I was hungry there. <laughs> and then I was thinking about what I was craving the most. And then the one thing that I was craving was Hawaiian chocolate with macaragia <laughs> Second thing was a Kit Kat. Third thing was beef jerky from Costco. And the fourth thing was protein bar. Fifth thing was mixed nut. And I just thought about it. I just laughed because I did not, you know, I mean, where can I find Hawaiian chocolate in North Korea prison? (laughs) But after about three months later, I didn't pray or anything like that. But after three months later, I was sent to the hospital. And two months later, my mom from Seattle came to visit me. We had an emotional reunion. And second day, she came to see me. And she said she brought me something. She opened her bag. First thing she took out was Hawaiian chocolate. With McKenzie and that. No way. Second thing was Kit Kat. Third thing was beef jerky from Costco. The fourth thing was a uh, protein bar. Fifth thing was mixed nut. Oh my gosh. It was just exactly five things that I was thinking about one day. I didn't remember. I mean, I forgot about these things, but apparently, you know, God remembered. I didn't call my mom. I didn't write to her or anything like that. I didn't tell anybody. There's no way she could have known. No, no way she could have known. <laughs> wow. Exactly five things that I was craving that God provided through my mom. So it was God's, you know, it's almost like, if you, Lord, if you are this good to me, yeah. I, mean, yeah. I mean, you're good enough for me to trust my life upon, even going to prison for. And so I had to rely, you know, I just realized that I, you know, God is good and he's with me. And then maybe there's a reason why that he put me in the prison. Yeah. But I have no idea what's gonna happen. But I just need to know that he's worthy, he's worth living my life for.
0: Yeah. So, you know, God would give you these moments where he would encourage you despite your suffering. So tell me about the time where you felt the most despondent about your situation, where you were as close to giving up. Because I imagine there must have been moments, many moments.
1: Yeah, there are a few moments. Um, There is uh, one time was, you know, I was told that I'll be going to Pyongyang, and then after maybe several weeks, I'll be sent home. So I was hoping to go home before Christmas in 2012. And I I thought at least I was detained in November 3rd. I thought I'll be at least going to be able to go home before the Christmas. And then uh, December 12, uh, 2012, and I turned on the TV in my detention room, and I realized that they just had a third nuclear testing done. Okay, And then I realized that, oh, this, when this happened, the U.N. sanction will follow. Then that means, oh, any talks been happening between North Korea and U.S. about me will be stopped. Yeah. Or, uh, so I realized that this was a day that that I'm gonna be here for a long time. So this was the first time that I lost the hope. Mm. And, then, and then they told me that I'm gonna be charged officially and I'm gonna be uh, going to the trial and I may die. And this kind of a moment that, that happened at the same time. Yeah. So I was desperate enough. And, I was, and then the, when the Christmas came, and I was just, I was depressed for this couple of weeks. And then Lord, I was starting to sing a song to Jesus, and then singing the Christmas carol in a way. <laughs> and Lord, is He's starting to uh, speak to me and comforting me and say, Kenneth, I'm with you." Mm. And then I realized that one of the charge they made against me at that time was I was trying to start up in a prayer house or prayer center in north korea that was the one of the charge against me and realized that i was actually in north korea in pyongyang in, in a house and i was singing to the lord i'm praying to god i realized that this is in a prayer house in north korea and i was just i said i will not move i will not retreat i will stand still yeah. and worshiping god and this is god's holy ground i was claiming the lord Claim the land for Jesus again out loud, and the people outside were listening and so hearing what's going on inside. Wow! But this is a moment that Lord uh, convicted me that I was there for a reason and nothing to fear about. So I would start giving praise to God.
0: Wow, that is remarkable. You had mentioned that your heart in North Korea changed from the perspective of a prisoner to a missionary. You had to keep reminding yourself that you're a missionary. Was that something that you were able to reach the the people that you were interacting with the guards while you were there?
1: Yeah, I was there for about a year um and then then I realized that um that there was a ten by um u s government to send an envoy was canceled a week later, another envoy arrived. I met with someone from the White House, okay, but he could not take me home, so I was very depressed. Uh, and then I received a letter from my mom and said, she said that you need a faith like a Daniel or three friends. Mm. Uh, just like, the, you know, our God is able to save us. But if he, even if he does not, you need that kind of faith. Yeah. So I realized that that I wasn't going home anytime soon. And then after about three weeks, pondering and pondering, I finally nailed down on my hospital bed and said, Lord, you know my heart. I want to go home. And, um, you know, thinking about the family, waiting, you know, so many people praying for me. I have to go home, but not my will, but your will be done. It was and uh, use me, Lord. Mm. And this was probably the most difficult prayer I ever prayed in my life. Yeah. Once I prayed the prayer, the Lord started to convict my heart more, and then uh, and filled with compassion for the people, because I only saw the people around me as oppressor, someone who taking my freedom away. Yeah. But now God is started to see them as lost sheep. So these are lost sheep that I have sent you for. You're not you are not here as a prisoner. You are here as my shepherd. You're here as missionaries. Yeah. The two words the Lord spoke, that is the two words I received in a, back in those days in the eighties and, and about shepherd and missionaries. I realized that I was there as and missionaries. Wow. And I asked the Lord, I don't know what to do or how to do this because I'm in prison. It's not like they're nice to me. Right. And then suddenly, uh, Lord started open door. They normally call me my prisoner number. It was 103. Yeah. But when nobody's around, one by one, they started, they started coming to me and said, a Pastor, can I talk to you? They're talking about their family problems, marriage problems, and kids' issues. And Wow. I was doing a family counseling, parenting counseling, and medal counseling. And uh, and then suddenly they're asked questions question like, Pastor, if I believe in God like you, what do I get? Wow. Uh, if I believe in God like you, then what do I have to pay to your church? Is there a membership fee? I was there talking about the cost and the benefit. And then there's one man asked me and said, you said that God is real, but... How come you're still here? I was there for two years, and they say, you know, uh-huh. don't stay this long before. If God is really listening to your prayer, how come you're still here? And I say, maybe God has different plan. Hmm. The plan may include you. Without me, how are you gonna hear about God or anything from outside? He said, it's true. I've never heard anything like this before in my whole life. Yeah. So unless someone goes, someone care, how are they gonna know? And this is why they realized that. Oh, I was there as a missionary.
0: Yeah. So how did you find out that you were finally going home?
1: It was back in November 1st, 2014, after being there for two years. And then um, one of the North Korean officials came to see me and said, well, you've been here for two years. You only need to stay around 13 more years now. Nobody's coming for you. Uh, you've been forgotten. Uh, your government does not care about you. Yeah. And then they left. So, but he's been saying this every single Saturday for one year. Oh. So I named him Mr. Disappointment <laughs> because every time he's giving me disappointing news. Yeah. But it doesn't matter how you pray, worship God, but every time I'm hearing from him, I get disappointed. If I get disappointed, I get you know, depressed, and then I fall into despair, and I become hopeless, then total depression sets in. Yeah. So I have to choose whether I'm gonna to listen to Mr. Disappointments or listen to God. Mm. Every time I get disappointed, I'm falling into depression, I go into the uh, bathroom and look in the mirror, and say, Kenneth, remember who you are. You are a missionary. Mm. I have to say, my name is Kenneth Bay. I'm a missionary. Over, over again, more than hundred times yeah. during this uh, time of waiting and not knowing when this is gonna be over. That was November 1st. But November 3rd, Monday, this two-year anniversary day, I woke up early morning and Lord spoke to me very clearly and said, "Open your Bible to Zephaniah chapter three, verse twenty. Not knowing what there is." I opened my NIV version Bible, and then I discovered that there's one sentence say, I will bring you home. Wow. And there was a Monday and a Friday, November 7th, U.S. envoy arrived. And November 8th, I was able to go home. Wow. So on the way home, I told the people came from White House and from you know, from State Department say, November 3rd, Lord spoke to me that he's going to bring me home. And they were so surprised because November 3rd is a date that they actually left the White House in you know, Washington, D.C., to try to bring me home. Wow. So God sent me the U.S. government plane at the same time. Yeah spoke to me at the same time. So i telling telling now the people around the world that, you know, not only God care about me, but He is a good God. He is someone to trust upon when we go through our trouble in our life. Not everybody go to prison in North Korea, Yeah, but God is this good to care for the missionary, then I do believe that God can care for others who are going through difficulty in their lives as well.
0: Wow. That is a remarkable story. So what has your life been like since you've been back?
1: So when I came back, um Lord reminded me that people around the world prayed for you, Kenneth, and I remembered you. Yeah. You haven't been forgotten by people or by me. And he also said he has not forgotten the people of North Korea either. So as people pray and, uh, and remember me, if people around the world pray for people in North Korea and remember them, God will rescue 25 million people who never heard the gospel before mm. to bring them home as well and then bring down the wall and to Korea. North and South Korea will be united and unified. Mm. And then someday that we will see God's glory will be revealed in North Korea. Uh, there will be evidence very soon. So I've been giving a call from the Lord by for coming back home. And now I am uh, going around the world. Now I moved, uh-huh. uh, m- uh, my family moved to South Korea, started something called Nehemiah Global Initiative. It's we call it NGI. Okay. And we set up this en- uh, mission agency to remember North Korean refugees and rescue North Korean refugees and uh, restore, rebuild them, and empower their life in South Korea. Yeah. So I've been um, actively speaking about North Koreans' human rights issue, Freedom of religion of faith in North Korea. Uh, I spoke in UN and US Senate and um, uh, Congress and people in the, with the White House, White House people yeah. and state departments. And then I've been um, traveling all over the world and just praying and asking people to pray for people in North Korea.
0: Knowing all of the blessings that you received, the intimacy with God, the, the way that your faith grew during that time, But juxtaposed to all of the pain and all of the suffering and all the difficulty, if you could go back and could choose whether this would happen again, if you could go back in time and keep the hard drive in your bag or remove it on that morning, what would you do?
1: Well, I never thought about it. I, if I didn't know all of this, I would have removed my hard drive somewhere. I would have dumped it somewhere. Yeah. But if, if knowing that now I'm being used by the Lord, I never thought that I would be used this way. I'm traveling all over the world and then, and, uh, and then sharing what God has done in my life. And so I do believe that this was God's will in my life. So I have Absolutely, you know, even though it was so difficult. Yeah, but you know, even even though I don't want to repeat what I have to go through. Yeah. For especially my family's sake. But yeah. But knowing the outcome of it, you know, I do say that this was all worth it. And I you know, if I if I would have known that this would have happened, then I probably made the same choice that I did before. Wow. Wow, Kenneth, that is amazing. Because not right now, um, I just came back but well, now I'm, you know, uh, working to save saving people's life that because the U.S. government came to get me home. But how about 25 million North Korean people yeah. who will stand with them, who will remember them. As the people around the world remember me, now we're asking the people here and locally and then internationally and say, please remember the people in North Korea. When I hear Kenneth's story, I can't help
0: but think of the story of Joseph in Genesis. I mean, here is a man who was punished and imprisoned and seemingly forgotten, but all the while God was developing a purpose and writing a grander story of redemption. I mean, he said it himself, right? If he could go back and take that hard drive out of his bag, he wouldn't because of all the amazing things he's seen God do. If you'd like to read Kenneth's book, Not Forgotten, I'll put a link in the show notes. And also, if you'd like to learn more about his organization, Nehemiah Global Initiative, and what they're doing to protect North Korean refugees, you can go to ngikorea.org. That's also in the show notes. Thanks so much for listening to The Pursuit. Please subscribe and rate and review on iTunes to help us reach more people. And you can find us at The Pursuit Cast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And as we go, remember, you may not know where your journey ends, but you can find God all along the path. I remember hearing about the news and... Hearing the name, and I thought Kenneth Bay. I said, I know that name. And then I I remember texting Jimmy. You remember Jimmy from NCA? Uh huh. And I remember thinking, wait, is this is this the same Kenneth that was at NCA? And he was
1: like, yeah.